the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. So we know what the world has to say about our enemies and how we are to treat them. What does God's Word have to say? What kind of illustrations can we find from Scripture? Let's find out. Welcome, this is Truth For Today. Pastor Phil Howard continues our series on the life of David. And we're in 1 Samuel, chapter 24. And today we want to focus in on how the righteous treat their enemies. And David is a marvelous example. So please join us as we continue our survey of David, the life of David. From Valley Bible Church in Hercules, our teacher and pastor Phil Howard, and today's broadcast of Truth For Today. We want to look at the life of David and it's how a righteous man treats his enemies. We're going to pick up the life of David again. We'll look at chapter 24 and 26 where he spares Saul's life. In chapter 18, David is coming from a great victory. He's just killed Goliath. He's a national hero. Some folks make up a song that he had nothing to do with that said David's killed his 10,000. Saul's killed his thousand. And that did it to Saul. You found the Achilles heel in him. I can't have a rival. I can't have anybody being praised any more than me. And of course, he was paralyzed for nearly 40 days and never even took on Goliath. And this young man comes along, maybe 16 years of age, and slays him in the name of the Lord. Instead of Saul rejoicing at a national victory, he becomes green with jealousy and envy. A demon spirit comes upon him. And in chapter 18, while David is playing for him to soothe him, he throws a javelin to kill him. With that, David decided to get another kind of job. This was too dangerous. And he goes into exile. Exile will take him for the next 14 years. From age 16 to 30, he's a man living out of caves, living off of the land, from a national hero to a fugitive in a day. How quick the uh, tables turn. And he's out there running for his life from a man that should have loved him, appreciated him, and been dear to him, but instead... He becomes his chief enemy, a man bent on destroying David if he can. Well, in all these years of fleeing, at times he would throw javelin. He made six attempts on David's life. And we pick up in chapter 24, where David now has been on the run at least 10 years. And the moment that anyone would crave as a soldier, as a military power has come. He's got his golden opportunity to eliminate Saul. And let's pick up the narrative in chapter 24. 
After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, and that's who he should have been pursuing, he was told, David is in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. Do you think he wanted to get him? 3,000 men? He came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there and Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. David had approximately 600 men. And nature calls on Saul and he steps in this cave, takes off a robe. He doesn't know there's 600 men and David in this cave. Steps out of the bright sunlight back into these dark caves. He can see nothing. And they're obviously all back hugging the walls here. Wow, can you believe here is Saul. In the most vulnerable condition you can get in. I mean, if they'd had a Kodak camera, they could have blackmailed him. <laughs> the men said, this is the day, not the Lord has made. The Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. But then his conscience was stricken. And he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should have done such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed. Or lift my hand against him. See, the men weren't looking at him as God's anointed, but as David's chief enemy. But David had never lost sight of the position Saul was in. He never lost sight of the role he played as king. And he didn't paint him as just an enemy. He was the Lord's anointed in a position God had put him. He's just a man that's in rebellion against God. He's just a man that won't play by the rules. And he's acting insane under the influence of a demon. With these words, David rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. Then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, My Lord, the king. When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He said to Saul, why do you listen when men say David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lift my hand against my master because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I call this skirting the issue. Uh, I, I cut off the corner of your robe, but did not kill you. Now understand and recognize that I'm not guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me. And may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me. But my hand will not touch you. That's quite an advantage to give to Saul, isn't it? I can hunt this guy all I want. And no matter if there's ever a duel, he won't take his sword against me. I mean, David has become vulnerable, vulnerable, vulnerable to give Saul this information. Saul doesn't know David feels this way until now. 
far as he's concerned, if he can kill a giant, he can kill a king. But there's a set of values working in David. I don't fight against God's people. I fight against God's enemies, but I don't take on the king. And though he treats me like a dog and a flea, I will not treat him as I do the enemies of the Lord. And just to think he never had any of Swindoll's tapes and had this kind of character. May the Lord judge between you and me. And may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me. But my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evildoers come evil deeds. So my hand will not touch you. Then he asked him, why are you chasing a dead dog and a flea? I want to preach on that next week. Chasing dead dogs and chasing dead fleas. What a way to waste your life. Some of you have been chasing fleas. Saul ought to have been doing great things and he's wasting all of his life chasing down a dead dog. When David finished saying this, Saul asked, Is that your voice, David, my son? And he wept aloud. You are more righteous than I, he said. You have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. You have just now told me of the good you did to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you did not kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him get away unharmed? May the Lord reward you well for the way you treated me today. I know that you will surely be the king. And the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. You go to chapter 26. And when he's in the land of the Ziphites. Abishai and David go down into the camp. Everybody's under a steep stupor that the Lord had put them under. And they go down next. They take the water jug. And they go back across a, a wadi there, but we have enough space, and yells out to Abner, Abner, aren't you supposed to take care of the king? Yes, why do you ask? And they lift up the jug. Where were you when we were in the camp and had the spear and could have put it through the heart of David? Where were you? You need to be fired. Once again, he had Saul within the grasp of a spearhead, and he, he just flees it. So Saul yells to him in verse 21. David recites to him how he's been making his life miserable. He says, you've driven me from the presence of the Lord. I can't go to temple. I can't go to church, as it were, in Jerusalem. My parents are over in Moab. I've had to get them away so you won't kill them. I've been running like a dog. I've been treated terrible. I've done nothing wrong. Why do you pursue me and make my life miserable for no cause? Then Saul said in verse 21, I have sinned. Come back, David, my son, because you considered my life precious today. I will not try to harm you again. Surely I've acted like a fool and have erred greatly. David said in verse 23, the Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and faithfulness. The Lord delivered you into my hands today, but I would not lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. As surely as I valued your life today, so may the Lord value my life and deliver me from trouble. What a, what a drama. What a uh, scene. 
God has revealed in his word not only how we treat God's anointed when they're wrong, <laughs> but how to uh, respond to an enemy that you didn't make or that you didn't deserve. They just don't like you. They just pursue you. They reject you. And I have to say that uh, in the counseling that I've done in this church over the years, and Pastor Rollins and our other men, we counsel every Wednesday. And uh, I've been trying to do it for 30 years. And I would tell you one of the most common things that come up is people's resentment, their hate, their bitterness, their desire for revenge against those who have done them wrong. Uh, I can't stand my father. I can't stand my mother. Uh, I can't stand my husband, my wife, those I work with, people in the church, out of the church, and to see people tied up in knots because they don't like what has happened to them and they are becoming controlled by it and they're turning into a terrible monster. Uh, their, their spiritual growth has stopped. They have parked next to a deep resentment. They parked next to a bitter divorce. They parked next to a bitter church fight. They parked somewhere and they've not gone any further. They're not growing anymore. They're just sitting, soaking, and souring. They're miserable in life, saved and unsaved alike. I want us to look at uh, uh, some things that guarded David. David said at least th three things, but I want us to look at five responses to uh, enemies and those who do us wrong. But David said at the end here in 26, God always rewards right conduct. God will reward the righteous and the faithful. You'll never do God's word his way and not be rewarded. Count on that. You may not be rewarded by your enemies or your peers, but God rewards those who do it his way. Two, he says, God, be as merciful to me as I've been to Saul. I'm making a deposit here, Lord. I'm going to spare this man, and I want you to see it because I'm going to need lots of deliverance in the future, and I want you to be as good to me in the future as I'm being to Saul right now. Today you sow what you will reap tomorrow. And Jesus said, you'll be blessed if you sow in mercy because you'll reap it. You reap the kind of treatment you give. So be careful how you handle people. Because the way you handle them, God has already planned to put someone in your life that acts just like you do. And they're going to act that way towards you. So be careful what you sow. And then he said, and I think the point is, God is merciful to the merciful. God gives a crop in whatever area we sow. You sow wrong, you reap wrong. Now let's look at five things of how we, could, the righteous, are to respond to our enemies. David gives us a marvelous model. Joseph, Stephen, Christ. First thing, God has revealed to us clearly how he expects us to respond to wrong treatment. And we give you the passages. We'll look at some of them. Leviticus 19, we'll be looking at it. Proverbs. Leviticus says, love your neighbor. Don't hate him. Uh, don't resent your neighbor. Don't bear a grudge. 
Proverbs says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. It's the best way to shame him in his behavior. Matthew, Christ says, if you don't love your enemies, you're no better than the Pharisees in natural religion. I've brought a relation with God that enables you to love the worst kind of people, not just those you like. Uh, Romans 12, we'll look at it, that God says, vengeance is a divine prerogative. God has more people that want to help him out in vengeance than he does in love. Leave the vengeance department with God. God knows how to do a good job with vengeance. God knows how to bring Nebuchadnezzar down. He knows how to bring Herod down. He knows how to bring Hitler down. He knows how to bring down Haman. God can get the last word in. And if you read the book of Revelation, if you think he's weak, he can shake islands so hard they don't exist anymore. One third of the population destroyed under one plague. Believe me, there's a great and awesome day coming. God has not had his full vengeance yet. I don't want to be there. Um, So that God has told us bad treatment towards you does not justify bad treatment back. And that does not make sense. I, you know, I didn't have to be taught if they hit you, you hit them back. Now, sometimes... Children need to be coached in that. But, uh, you know, my brothers did a great favor for me. I was on crutches and braces when I was younger. And uh, my dad always had lots of candy in the house. A depressed man wanted lots of sugar in the house. So I'd get all kinds of candy. But there's about five boys that I played with. They'd always get the candy. And one of them would side shot me and hit me. And since I was in braces and crutches, I'd, I'd fall over. And so I became a whiner and a crier, and I was always going to the house. Some of them would threaten me, get us more candy, we're going to knock you over again. And so they made, uh, made my life miserable. But the great blessing of having older brothers is they cornered these five guys. And I had been going to my Uncle Sam, who taught me what to do with crutches. <laughs> and one day he sat down, he said, do you see this crutch? Now I'm about second, third grade. Yeah. He said, you do this, boom. And the first one I hit was his boy, Billy. I nearly knocked him out. And my Aunt Betty said, give him a spank. And my Uncle Sam said, no, I taught him to do it. No, Bill, it's your fault. Boom. So I loved crutches from that day on. And this day, these guys pushed me down. I'm crying. I go in the house. Paul and David said, we're sick and tired of you whining. We're going to hold these guys, and we're going to put five guys to you. You've got to fight all five of them. If the first guy beats you up, you've got four more weapons coming. Because we, we're sick and tired of this. They just fed them. Boom, boom, boom. I became the block leader in one day. <laughs> Thanks, Paul and David. Set my life free. After that, I liked to fight when I thought I could win. Uh, you loved, I love being unsaved to get angry because you can hit a guy or cussing or run. In the church, becoming a Christian, all a brand new set of responses were put before me. It's not good to hit people when you're a Christian. It's not a good testimony. 
It's hard to get them to come to Easter service with you. <laughs> and I had a guy that we would always get in fights in, in sports. I'd just get hot in a sport game and I'd hit him. But man, then I'd have to repent, ask his forgiveness. That got very embarrassing. So God had to do a lot of work in me about being hot-headed. But he's revealed what we're to do. And I think the principle that he keeps telling me, don't return evil for evil, is this principle. We are not responsible for what happens to us in life, but we're responsible for what happens in us. I cannot control what people do to me, but I do have respondability. I can choose my response. Many things will happen in your life that no one would have ever chosen. The thing God has called the righteous to is you choose a God-given response. Don't let your enemies determine the way you respond. Their hate for you should not be matched by your hate for them. Uh, second thing I think we ought to know about having enemies. Let's go to Leviticus. You need to see this. Leviticus 19. God put it early in the Bible. I think he knew we'd run into the problem quick. Leviticus 19. He gives us some helpful ways to get along with people. Verse 17 Do not hate your brother in your heart. That's a strong passage because the brother may never know that you hate them. In your heart, you haven't done anything in the external world. You haven't hit them. You haven't said anything. But in your heart, you hate. And he's telling Israel, do not hate your brother in your heart. Now, it's interesting the cure. It's antithetical. Don't hate, but you can rebuke him. You can rebuke. Now, rebuking sounds bad, doesn't it? I mean, rebuke your neighbor, which means verbally convey, I think you're wrong. Uh, I've got a problem. We've got to deal with it. Uh, hey, don't do that. Some form of verbal displeasure. Don't do that. Or you're wrong. Let's say, let's say you're just wrong. He says you can do that. But you can't hate. And what I've seen people do, the haters in this category, if they haven't gone public, they're usually stewards and stuffers, and it's just there all the time. They don't make any effort to settle the hate. They just have chosen to hate. Uh, they don't seek reconciliation. They don't do what Jesus said in Matthew. When you're in at temple... And you get ready to offer your sacrifice. And remember, you have not settled a grievance. Leave the sacrifice. I don't want your worship until you get right with the brother. Made it a high priority. You can't worship God until you're willing to get right with brethren. God won't listen to you. He said, if you don't forgive your brother, I'm not going to forgive you. But they're wrong. So what? God has never asked us to do anything he hasn't done he loved us the most when we hated him the most. You weren't doing anything for God when he sent his son to the cross for you. You weren't anything but an enemy when he decided to make you his child in eternity past. You were his enemy. You read Romans 5. You might dare die for a good man, but who would ever die for an ungodly? 
and a God-hating man. God would. He's the only one. He's not asking you to do something he hasn't done a million times over. And that will conclude our time today here on Truth For Today from Valley Bible Church in Hercules with our teacher and pastor, Phil Howard. As we close out our broadcast, we would invite you to join us for worship here at Valley Bible Church, and we would also invite you to stop by our website and take advantage of added resource materials we've made available through this ministry. You see, as we come to you on a daily basis, it's our hope and desire that you grow in Christ, that you find yourself sustained by His grace through the teaching and preaching of His Word. Along those lines, we've created Truth For Today Radio, which is a website that contains a lot of other extracurricular resource materials that you can add to your relationship with Christ as you seek to grow in Him. We also have information about who we are, what we believe, and worship opportunities at Valley Bible Church, where this broadcast originates, here in Hercules. We have directions, we have service times, all of it. It's available at truthfortodayradio.org. If you would like to contact us by phone, you're welcome to do so at 855-833-9864. Again, that's 855-833-9864. As always, you're welcome to write to us. The address is 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278, Hercules, California. The zip code is 94547. We would also ask you to prayerfully consider partnering with us, not just prayerfully, but financially as well, as this broadcast and the many resource materials available along with it are available as you link arms with us financially and prayerfully. Our goal and desire is to minister to the greater Bay Area, and we can do that more and more as you link arms with us, again, financially and prayerfully. No gift is too small, no gift is too large. And whether it's a one-time gift or monthly gift, it's all appreciated, and your prayers even more so. Reach us at truthfortodayradio.org or call 855-833-9864. And then come back and join us next time for another broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.